there was a Russian man named Mr. Smirnov who was sitting on a chair outside of a trading post uh, near the Tunguska River that is in Siberia, Russia. Mr. Semenov said that suddenly it was as if the sky split in two and there was a light that was so bright that he could hardly look at it. Uh, he began to tear his shirt off because the heat was so intense on his body he thought he was on fire. The earth beneath him started to shake. He was knocked off of his chair and, and shoved backwards about six or eight feet. Uh, he said, he described the sound of it like several cannons being shot off at one time. Windows around him at the trading post shattered and rocks began falling from the sky. Mr. Semenov was 40 miles away from the epicenter of what has come to be called the Tunguska event. Most scientists believe that what happened was a meteorite somewhere between 150 and 300 feet in diameter exploded as it entered our atmosphere about three to five miles above the earth. When it did, um, and they don't know why it did that, but there's, there's no crater there. So they believe it was miles above the earth when this meteor exploded. And it, it is said that that blast was seen 500 miles away. It had such incredible destructive power. Only three people died, but hundreds if not thousands, they don't know how many, reindeer were just obliterated in this forest. There is a butterfly-shaped zone of destruction that scientists later found covered 830 square miles. They estimate that 80 million trees were leveled in this entire 830 square miles, and they said that the explosion released enough energy to equal somewhere between 20 and 30 megatons, or 1,000 times the Hiroshima, the Hiroshima atomic bomb. It was an incredible event. A massive amount of power released, not from a nuclear weapon created by man, but from a meteor that entered our atmosphere. We are in this series entitled, Behold Your God, and we're talking about the, natura, uh, the, the nature and the attributes of our great God. And today we're going to talk about the God who created that meteor that had such great power but had nothing like the power of our omnipotent God. I've, I've entitled our message today, Unlimited Power, Our Omnipotent God. Mr. Semenov witnessed an incredible display of power. I can't even imagine that. 40 miles away from the blast, but he thought he was on fire. A blast that was seen from here to, uh, from here to Jacksonville, Florida away. That is... That's incredible power. And yet we're talking today about the one who holds that kind of power in the palm of his hand. The Bible says that by him all things consist or are, are held together. We're going to come today to Psalm 29. You'll notice at the top of the psalm it says that it's a psalm of David. David is going to use the description of a horrific storm. Now obviously that storm is... 
I mean, we experience storms all the time, and because of what we now know in science and in uh, weather-related, or what they think they know anyway in weather forecasting, uh, we, we know some things about storms. They don't cause the fear in us that they did back in this particular day. But we're going to use Psalm 29 today. David does anyway. We're not making this up. David uses it to point us to the power of God. And I want you to keep in mind as we make our way through this, God's power is limitless. If God can do things like we are going to talk about in this storm today, if this is nothing to him, if God can say words and create worlds and universes, then your problem and my problem is nothing to him, is nothing for him to fix. It doesn't matter what we're facing. It might be financial, it might be uh, physical. It might be a relationship. It might be a great need. It might be uncertainty. It might be fear or anxiety. God's power is without limit. It is unlimited power. I'd like to look at that today. I'd like you to look at Psalm chapter 29. It's not a very long psalm. So let's read all 11 verses and see what David tells us about this great God we serve. <coughs> he says in verse number 1, Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve. Discovereth forests. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood. Yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. He starts out in this incredible storm. And he ends talking about the peace, even in that storm, that God's able to, able to give uh, to his people. So let's, let's look at this psalm today. And I, I hope to be able to describe it like David does here. And to frame for you how big God is. Because honestly, I don't know if you're as guilty of it as I am. But I forget just how great and powerful this God is at times. And I let things overwhelm me that really God, is, God has complete control over. He's omnipotent. Mark that word. We're going to come back to it. But there is only one being ever, always, and anywhere that you can ascribe that word to. You can say this person's beautiful or this person's smart, but you can't say about anyone but God, they're omnipotent. They can do anything. Well, let's talk about that God for a little bit this morning, all right? Would you join me in prayer and ask God to help our understanding? It's big to wrap your, your, your mind around something that's without limit. So let's, let's invite God to help us with that.
Father, thank you for bringing us to your, your church here today. We're glad to gather with these folks and these families, and we don't take for granted that you bring us to places safely. And so thanks for getting us here. We're going to trust you to take us home today as well. But while we have the next few minutes together in your word, you're talking about, to us, you're talking about a, a, a thing that we can't understand. It is beyond our ability to grasp the omnipotence that belongs only to you. You can do anything. There is no problem. There's no circumstance. There's no condition. There's no issue that even comes close to challenging your strength. You are God and there is none like you. And so help us today to revel in that. As your children, help us to rejoice in the fact that our God, our Heavenly Father, the one who said it's your, your, your pleasure to give us the kingdom, you can do anything that we need you to do. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd expand our thinking today. Help us to grasp this as best we can with our little finite minds that you are a God whose power is infinite. So bless this word through the work of your Holy Spirit today. Thank you again for each person and family that is here today. We pray that Jesus Christ would be pleased with what we do and say. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's talk about some things in here. First, in the first two verses, let's talk about the worth of God's power. The worth of his power. Theologians describe God's strength, and we've used this, words, this word already. They describe it as omnipotence. Omnipotence. And for our little working definition today, it just means this. Unlimited, infinite power, a word that is only applicable to God. It is unlimited and infinite. It has no boundaries. It has no beginning, no end. If something is infinite, no beginning, no end. His power is without any of that. I love Noah's, Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary of the English Language. And the reason I love it is because that's his description of the word omnipotence. He said in his dictionary, this is a word that only belongs to God. That's how dictionaries ought to be written, from the perspective of the scriptures. The reality of God's power is introduced to us in these first chapters of the Bible itself. In Genesis chapter 1, we're not going to turn there, but seven times in Genesis chapter 1, you're familiar with that chapter, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on to describe how God created everything that is. Seven times in that chapter it says this, and God said, and when that happened, something came into existence that wasn't there before. He created like, like um, he created what is called ex nihilo. Have you ever heard that before, that little Latin phrase? Ex nihilo. It means he created out of nothing. There was nothing, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. There it was. There was nothing, and God said, let there be planets and stars, and there were planets and stars, and there was grass, and God said seven times, and God said, and all of a sudden, something existed where nothing had existed before. John Phillips calls that true executive power. You say it, it happens. I wish I had executive power sometimes. I don't. I found that out. God has it all. 
God said, and something happened. Israel celebrated their great, God's great work of bringing them out of Egypt. And uh, Sharon and I were talking about this right before church this morning, about how, how God is described in the Bible. Israel celebrated God bringing them out of Egypt by, by saying God used his stretched out arm. The greatness of thine arm, Israel said, brought us out of Egypt. But as we spoke last week, God doesn't have any arms. He's a spirit. But in that statement, what they're talking about is his great power. He exerted his power and brought a nation of over 2 million people out of Egypt. He did that all by himself. God did that. It's, it's his power. Deuteronomy chapter 26 and verse number 8 says this. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders. This outstretched arm is a, it's a word picture for you and me. Have you seen those guys that they're so big and they're so strong, they just, they look deformed. You ever seen those guys? There's one guy flying around on the reels right now on Facebook and he is massive. He almost looks like he, he almost looks like an AI figure. He looks like artificial intelligence was used to just create this thing. He's massive. That's the picture that God is, is drawing when it talks about his arch, outstretched arm. He's talking about his arm that is going to work on your behalf, on my behalf. He did it for he did it for Israel. One of my favorite writers, A.W. Tozier, said this about God's omnipotence. He said, since he has at his command all the power of the universe, the Lord God omnipotent, uh, omnipotent can do anything as easily as anything else. Would you pause for that right there? Would you think about that statement? God can do anything as easily as he does anything else. What, what does that translate to? It is nothing for God to say, let there be light. And there's light, and he exerts no more power to do that than he does to meet the financial you have this week, the financial need you have. He, he doesn't exert any more power. I love that sentence. It is as easy for him to do anything as anything else. Tozer goes on and says, all of his acts are done without effort. He expends no energy that must be replenished. His self-sufficiency makes it unnecessary for him to look outside himself to renew his strength. All the power required to do anything he wills already lies in his undiminished fullness. That's a lot of big words, but what he's saying is it doesn't take God anything to do anything. It doesn't cost him. At the end of the six days of creation on the seventh day, God what? He didn't rest because he was tired. He didn't expend any replenishable energy. He created everything that was, and on the seventh day, the Bible says he rested, but it was not because he was tired. He rested from his work. He was done creating. He just stopped creating. He never needs to replenish that. We accurately describe God's power as infinite because of a doctrine I want to share with you this morning, and I don't think I've ever touched on this before. It's the doctrine of divine simplicity. Is that what, have you heard of this? This is a wonderful thought. The doctrine of divine simplicity. 
Matthew Barrett wrote this about divine simplicity. This is what this means. It means that God is not made up of parts. He's not composite or a compounded being. He is a simple being. Everything that God is, he is together. That means that I can't separate God's justice from his grace or his mercy from his power or his holiness from his goodness. I can't separate God like that. Divine simplicity means that all of his attributes are who he is. You can't separate them. There's unity to him. Does that make sense? You can't pull out a part of God. He just is all that he is all at the same time. So that means this. Because he is infinite, his power is infinite or omnipotent. Because he's righteous, when he exercises his power, it's righteous. You can't separate any characteristic of God from the other. His grace goes perfectly well with his justice. His holiness goes perfectly well with his hatred. There are things God hates, but in hating, he's no less holy. God just, you remember what we said last week? God just, he just is. Well, Psalm 29, David begins here in heaven and, and in earth, and he, he begins with this idea of worship. You get that in those first two verses. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give glory to his name. Worship the Lord in the, in the beauty of holiness. He says, this is who God is, worship. In Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10, it says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. This is who God is. He's going to do these things. David is writing to these worshipers in the first two verses, and these worshipers included people and angels. That word mighty, give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. David is talking to the angelic beings. What do you remember about angels? Every time you see them in the Bible, every time they show up at least to humans, there are some things about these angels. What is, generally speaking, those of you who are, you're you're tracking with me this morning, generally speaking, what is the first word out of an angel's mouth when he appears to a human? Almost every time. What is it? What? Fear not. Fear not. You know why they had to say that. It's because of their appearance. The Bible describes them as angelic beings, some of them have four faces. That would throw us for a loop right away. Some of the angels, some of them have four faces. But they appear brilliant in their, uh, in their presentation, their brightness, all of them. And so the first thing that they have to say, because of their, their great appearance, the first thing they had to say to people like you and me and Mary and Joseph and Joshua, the first thing they had to say to them was, fear not. Don't be afraid, because they're brilliant, but they pale in comparison to the God that they serve. 
their brilliance is nothing like his. The, the power that some of these angels have in the Bible. There was one angel that went through an enemy camp. Do you remember that? One angel went through an enemy camp and killed 180,000 enemy troops in one night. In one night. One angel. That's power. And yet they, they pale in comparison to the power of God. They serve him in reverence. So David calls them to, to fear him. To worship him. And to glorify him. No wonder God says in, in Isaiah 46. There is, <coughs> he says there is none like me. So that brings us to this question of this God that we're worshiping. Do we really understand the power behind the promises of God to you and me? I want you to think about that. When God promises you something, keep this in mind, he's coming from the platform of omnipotence. So if he tells you, even in the midst of a heavy grief-bringing trial, that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord and who are the called according to his purpose. If God says that, if God makes that promise, he's coming from the platform, I, I can do anything. Isaiah would say it like this, he is a God who gives us beauty for ashes. You ever made decisions in your life and it just burned It just burned that thing to the ground? It was the worst decision you could have made and you ended up upside down and sideways and it was an absolute mess. And you did that or I did that all on my own. And all that's left is a pile of ashes of the mess that I have made because of a bad decision. God says, if you'll come to me, my omnipotence will let you have beauty for those ashes. I, I can do that. Do we really understand the, the power that stands behind the omnipotence of God? As Christians, we live a life of faith. We believe these promises, like I mentioned, Romans 8, 28. These things do work together for good because it's coming from the one who has all power. When you come across these promises, I don't know, I, I don't know how many promises there are in the Bible. You may have found that little tidbit of biblical trivia, but I haven't. But when you come across these promises in the Bible, you need to draw a direct line from that promise to the promise of, or to the fact of God's omnipotence. If God says it, he can do it. He says there in Isaiah 46, I will do my pleasure. Whatever I want to do, I have the power to do it. There are some things, I'm, I'm sure everybody in this room, if we started here and went to here, I'm sure everybody in this room has something you would like to be able to do, but you do not have the ability to do it. What is that in your life? What is it you'd like to do, but you can't? You, you know what, you got it? God doesn't know that. God doesn't know that sensation of wanting to do something that he can't do. He said, I will do all my pleasure. That means whatever I'd like to do, I will. This is the worth of God's power. It is absolutely infinite. It is without limit. What is it you need God to do? I need him to rescue my marriage. I need him to redeem my child or my parent. I need them to be saved. I have an overwhelming financial need. I do not have the wisdom on my own how to get out of the financial wisdom that my family is in. I don't know how to get out of this. 
I'm saying the worth of God's power is he's over, he, he can overcome every one of those things. Whatever that is, God's great power is greater. That's the worth of God's power. He talks about that in the first two verses, and he tells these worshipers, you ought to worship God because he's a big God. He's a strong God. He can do anything. Give him glory that's due his name. Then the second thing he is, he talks about not just the worth of God's power. He talks about in verses 3 through 9, he talks about the display of God's power. And this is where he picks up on this picture of a storm. In verses 3 through 9, he goes from worshiping to describing this, this incredible storm. And, and there's something you should know. The people to whom he was writing, there in the Middle East, in ancient Middle East, the sea was a mysterious place to them. You remember that Israel is a coastal sea. It sits on the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea. To the Middle Eastern ancient mindset, the sea was a place of chaos and confusion. They didn't venture out. Israel was not known to venture out back in David's day. And when they looked out to the sea, and, and most of the time, because most storms come from west to east, the, sea, the, the, the storms always came from the Mediterranean Sea. That just added to that mystery that they had, that opinion that they had, that that place out there, out there in that water somewhere, it is just a massive place of chaos, and it just brings destruction. David takes that idea, and he starts in verse number 3, describing this great storm. So let's talk for a moment about this, this storm, the display of God's power. As you read it, beginning at verse number 3, it talks about the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters, the Mediterranean Sea. That's where he's talking about. So this storm starts out in the Mediterranean Sea and it gathers strength as it does. We have that, we have that dynamic whenever there's a hurricane down there off the southeastern coast of our country. They talk about this storm is building up and it's, it's going to hit Miami or it's going, to hit, uh, it's going to hit New Orleans or it's going to hit Houston. It's coming across the coast and as it goes across those waters, it's building strength. That's the picture David's drawing here. That is, as it comes in from the Mediterranean Sea, it builds up its strength and it hits the Lebanese coast. Lebanon was a place in David's day back in the Old Testament known for its cedar wood. They loved cedar wood. It says that that storm came in there and just snapped the cedars of Lebanon. And they're not like the little cedar trees we have. These are massive trees. And it snaps all of these trees. And it's crashing. And you can read the, the description there. It's crashing and it's, it's thundering. And it rolls across into the desert of, of Kadesh, it says. And there's this brilliant lightning going on. Again, you have to remember that the people that saw these things... They didn't know what you and I know about the science of a storm. They, they didn't know about electrons in the atmosphere. You know what I'm saying? So when they saw these things, they had a completely different perspective. It wasn't hard for them, especially the pagans, to ascribe these great storms to a god named Baal. The god must be angry. Look at the fire that he's throwing. That's all they could think of when it came to lightning. He's throwing fire across the sky. Well, David comes in here and he, he talks time after time in Psalm 29. He talks time after time saying this. God is just demonstrating his great power and his authority. 
this, this storm that's coming from the sea and it's bringing uh, all of this power and even destruction, the thunder, the lightning, he ascribes it to God's voice. Did you notice that? How many times did you read in that chapter the voice of the Lord? He says it again and again and again. He's trying to impress on the ancient Hebrews God is the one doing this. This is a demonstration, a display of God's power. Let me just ask you a question. Have you ever been in a storm like that? I've never been in a hurricane. I've uh, been in some bad storms. Have you ever been in a storm where you, you were reminded just how small you are? That's, it's incredible to be in something like that. Have you ever driven through a place right after a tornado went through? I don't mean two weeks later. I mean maybe six hours later after a tornado went through. You've seen those pictures of a piece of straw. You remember that? There was one, started, the first one I saw was back in the late 70s. A piece of straw driven through a telephone pole. Every once in a while we get into a storm like that and we, we're reminded, you know, we're just not that impressive. We are not that big. It's easy for us as, as people to be kind of impressed with ourselves. We clean up good on Sunday morning and we look pretty and we walk in here and everybody sings songs and we're talking about Jesus and it's easy for us to get lifted up in a little bit of pride and think, you know, we're not all that bad. We're pretty good people. We're pretty big people. And then a hurricane comes and 150 mile an hour winds blows for I don't know how many hours. And you're like, well, we're not all that much. God is the one, God is the one who creates and holds and controls storms like this. This is what David is. is I, I, I've been, one time I was out in the Rockies. We were going... Uh, we were doing some uh, mule deer hunting, and a uh, guy I was with went this way. I went this way. We took separate course. We didn't look at the weather. No, no phones back in that day. We didn't look at the weather very good. We got back in there, and a thunderstorm rolled into the Bridger Mountains outside of Bozeman. And I have never thought thunder was going to make me go deaf. It was incredible. Part of me was glad I was experiencing that. Part of me was wishing I was home in front of the fireplace kind of thing. Just a massive storm. David is saying all through Psalm 29, that's the voice of God. That, that's God that does that. God creates all of this. What looks like chaos to you coming out of the Mediterranean Sea, Israel, that's the voice of the God you serve. That thunder is his voice. He walks us through this and says that this storm is the very power of God on display in creation. In this chapter, do you know what the most repeated word is? The most report, repeated key word is Lord. You see it again and again and again. 18 times, and I use a King James Bible. 18 times in the King James Bible, in 11 verses, you read about the Lord. And then you read repeatedly also about the voice of the Lord. Why is the Lord and his voice repeated so often in this psalm? Because David's making a point. God is the power behind the storm. The illustration here is the storm. God's the power behind that storm. If they didn't, get, uh, if they didn't have their crops, they were agrarian in their culture. If they didn't have crops, they didn't have any food. They'd starve to death. They needed rain, but these storms could sometimes damage the crops. He was reminding them God's in control. In fact, there are times he's going to come in, he's going to say, you've attributed this stuff like the pagans around us to Baal. It's not Baal. 
It's Jehovah. It's the true God. It's the voice of the Lord. Seven times he talks about God's voice in here. Can I just pause here and, and, and say this? Christians, don't say nature causes these storms. Don't, don't say this is, this is nature. Not nature. It's God. God writes the physical laws, still writes the physical laws on this planet. Don't say nature, the wind, the rain, the lightning, uh, the thunder, they're just manifesting God's power. I remember a couple years ago, my daughter lives down in Pensacola, Florida, and she, they were in a horrific storm down there. Uh, it was a, what's the one right below a hurricane? Tropical storm? It was a tropical storm. She texted us early in the morning. It was like 6.30 or 7 in the morning, which is unusual because Kelly doesn't get up at 6.30 or 7 in the morning. But she said that during the night, they had recorded over 2,000 lightning strikes during the night. 2,000. Now, they've got satellites and cameras monitoring all that. God just keeps track of that by himself because he controls the wind and the thunder and the rain and the lightning. It's all him. There was a, a 20th century scholar named Derek Kidner, and Derek, uh, Derek Kidner died in 2008. But this is what he said about storms. Keep this in mind. Next time one rolls through here, keep this in mind. This is what Kidner said. The storm is not an outbreak of meaningless or hostile forces, but the voice of the Lord heard in all his works. Psalm, that agrees perfectly with Psalm chapter 135, verses 7 and 8, because it, it takes the one who led Israel out of Egypt and, and the one who controls the storm. It says it's the same guy. It's the same God, rather. Psalm 135, verse 7 says, He causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain. He bringeth the wind out of his treasures, who smote the firstborn of Egypt, both man and beast. He takes the storm maker and the redeemer from Egypt. He says it's the exact same God. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. You see, what, what Paul is saying is, you see God's power in creation. He didn't just create the world, he animates the world. He's the one that keeps the world going. The storms result from his, from his power uh, and the displays of his power. We ought to see God's works the way that David saw them here in in 29. In the Old Testament, they would attribute, I said a moment ago, they attributed these, especially the, uh, the people from Syrophoenicia, they attributed all this to Baal. He was the storm god. We don't do that today. But I do get weary of hearing Christians say things like Mother Nature. You're attacking God's creativity, his creativity. Don't use the phrase Mother Nature. There is no mother nature. There's only a father God. Not mother nature. It's not the universe. Well, the universe is working against us. No, the universe has no power. Zero. It's the laws of nature. No, it's not. It's the laws of God. When we see these storms, God is at work. I like what Tozer said. He said, what we see in nature are simply the paths God's power and wisdom take through his creation. That is, that is absolutely true. There is such a disparity today between what David saw in creation and what we see. 
David looked at it and he said, this storm in verses 3 through 9, this is God at work. Today we talk about the wonders of the universe and leave God, the creator, completely out of it. Romans 1.25 describes it like this. You've heard this phrase before. They worship and serve the creature more than the creator. That's exactly what's going on. God is at work even in this storm. Terrible storms. Well, there's a question that I have to ask before I leave this, and you may have already asked it. God is controlling that hurricane? You're saying God controlled that tornado that hit Middle Tennessee here a few years ago? What's the question that starts popping up into your mind, right? Here's the question. What about those whose life or whose loved ones or whose property is lost in tornadoes and hurricanes that God is displaying his power in? What about that, Pastor? Are you saying God's at work at that? That's a hard question, isn't it? Because either things got completely out of hand and it took my loved one or it took my home, or God killed my loved one, or God took my home. Well, what, what do we do when we come to that? That's a hard question. We don't have time to fully answer it this morning. But can I give you a simple, can I give you a simple short answer? Because we can't come through this passage and say these things and not ask this question. That's not fair. Here's the truth in all of that. The truth is this. God is governing a fallen world. That's why people die in storms that God is displaying his power in. God is governing a fallen world. We, through our sin, dissolved the relationship that God gave to Adam and Eve and the rest of creation. There was a perfect harmony on this planet between the human and the lion and the wind. There was a perfect harmony. Through sin, that harmony was disintegrated, but God in his mercy chose not to forsake us in all that. Well, you guys messed it up. You are on your own. I'm thankful he didn't, he didn't do that. He continues to govern his creation, but he is also governing a fallen world. I'll give you an example from the New Testament. Are we good on time? I'll give you an example from the New Testament. John chapter 9. Jesus and the disciples come across this blind man. And here's, here's how the disciples think. You remember their question to Jesus? Jesus, who did sin? This man or his parents that he should be born blind. We know that sin caused his blindness. Who did it? Did his parents sin so they had a blind baby? Or did you know, did you know he was going to be such a wicked soul that you let him be born blind? Do you remember what Jesus' answer was in John chapter number 9? Who did sin, this man or his father? Jesus' answer was, that's not why he's blind. It's so that the works of God can be displayed in his life. There's blindness. He was born blind. Why? That's a tragedy. You parents, you would, you would not like it if your child was born blind. That would be so hard. It would be hard for you. It would be hard for that baby growing up. It would break your heart knowing your baby would never see the creation around him. Yet Jesus said he's blind so that the works of God could be displayed. And they're about to be displayed right now. And Jesus healed his blindness. It was an incredible story. 
There's another one in Luke chapter 13 where Jesus talks about a news event that had taken place. A tower fell on a bunch of people and it killed several of them. And they were asking, here's the disciples again, thinking, you know, well, they probably had it coming. And Jesus said, it's not because they had it coming. You're no better than they are. Jesus' point was that bad things happen in a fallen world. And in those displays of God's power, like this storm in Psalm 29, in those displays of God's power, as people drive up and down highways at 60 and 80 miles an hour, bad things happen. But it doesn't mean God lost control. God's governing a fallen world. Scripture warns us away from making a rigid connection from bad things and sin. Be careful about connecting that. This is a fallen world. God's not out to destroy people randomly. In fact, here's the thought I'll leave you with before we go on. God's power displayed today is a reminder to us all that we will face this omnipotent God one day. God is letting us know the invisible things that we can't see. God is revealing some things in creation that we can, and he's pointing us to himself. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. He's using creation to direct our thoughts to to him. So you have the worth of God's power. He can do anything for you. Worship him for it. You have the display of God's power. It's incredible. And to you and I seems out of control. And yet God is pulling all the strings. And the last two two verses, verses 10 and 11, they give us the result of God's power. Let me share these two thoughts and then we'll be done. The result of God's power. The first thing is this. God's power is seen in his reign over us. In his reign over us. Look at verse number 10 and 11. The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. His reign over us is expressed in either in judgment or in peace. That, that word flood, do you see that word flood in verse number 10? In the Hebrew language, that's a very unique word. There are nine words in the Old Testament. There are nine Hebrew words that are translated into the English language, flood. But in Hebrew, there are nine different Hebrew words. This particular word, let me make sure I pronounce it correctly, mabul, M-A-B-B-U-L. This particular word is only used to describe one other flood in the Old Testament. Take a guess which one. You only find that Hebrew word in Genesis 6 through 10. So when he's talking about the Lord sitteth upon the flood here, he's talking about the Lord is in control of this judgment. This judgment. The flood that came in Genesis 6, that was, that was the clearest example in all of history of God's creative power being used as judgment. It was when he flooded the planet. And he's describing that right here, that that judging flood that comes. His power is infinite. His judgment is true, Psalm 19 says. And when he judges, he judges righteously. And sometimes he uses great power to judge. But don't lose sight of this fact. He sits on top of that flood. He's not underneath the water of that flood. He sits on top of it. He sitteth upon this judging flood this great flood 
that came. The Lord, and then it says this, the Lord sitteth king forever. Nobody's going to usurp his throne. Nobody's going to take him. The result of God's power is seen in his reign over you and I. He, he's just sovereign. But there's one more place that God's power is seen. His power is seen in his work for us. The psalm ends up, we go from this great storm at the beginning to this, this instrument. God's power is the instrument of, of peace and salvation in verse number 11. How does he do that? How does he take that great power and it's displayed in, in peace? May I read for you a couple of scriptures? 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power hath given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His power does that. Has there been a time in your life when you were going through great trial, great tragedy, and yet your heart was at peace? That's the power of God on display. That's, that's God at work. His his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. And then Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16 says this. Paul's making one of his prayers that's in the book of Ephesians for that church. He says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened by, uh, with might by his spirit in the inner man. The indwelling Holy Spirit using God's power to strengthen you. God's power is not only seen in his reign over us as sovereign king, but it's also seen in his work for us. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, It is God which worketh in you. There is no greater display of God's work for us than in the life of Jesus Christ. Go read the Gospels again. Jesus Jesus showed that he had power over the physical world. He went about healing people, ultimately raising them from the dead. Jesus displaying God's power in the physical world. He had power over the natural world. He calmed storms, walked on water. He multiplied fish and bread. I wrote down he multiplied bread and fish without growing wheat or dropping a net. Five loaves, two fishes, fed about 20,000 people. Never put a line in the water, just took those two fishes and fed people. Never grew wheat, just took those five loaves of bread, fed everybody that was there. Till they were full, by the way. It wasn't everybody just got a snack. They ate. It was all you can eat. It was a buffet of bread and fish, all you can eat. He had power over the physical world, the natural world. He had power over the moral world. He lived 33 and a half years and not one time did he ever even come close to sinning. Power over the moral world. He had power over death itself. Jesus Christ is the greatest display of the power of God. And Jesus Christ came into the world to save you. That's an amazing thing. God's greatest demonstration of his power is in his son. And he came for you and I. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 says, What is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. There are so many other scriptures. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. 1 Corinthians 6 14. Scripture after scripture says God displayed his power in raising Christ from the dead. There's nothing that God cannot do. 
when he wants to do it. Now, there are certain things, we know this, there are certain things God can't do. Scripture says it's impossible for God to lie. But if he wants to do it, God can do it. We have his power, and one day, that power is going to be the object of our praise. One more scripture verse, and it's Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6, and it tells us that we're going to praise his power one day. Look at that verse. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, just like Psalm 29 said, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The, the voice of the great multitude at the beginning of that, that's you and me. That's our praise being lifted up, acknowledging that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. So what does all this mean to you today? That's a lot of information, Pastor. That's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of scripture from Old or New Testament. What does all that mean to us today? You're here this morning and you don't know for sure that if you died, you'd go to heaven. By that admission, you're saying, I'm not a Christian. Now, let me, let me say this. Being Christian is not about being religious. That's not what it means at all. Religion is not Christianity. Christianity has a far more narrow definition in the scripture than we give it in the world today. Being a Christian means this. I have placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of my sins and to take me to heaven when I die or when Jesus comes back, whichever comes first. That is the biblical definition of Christianity. Nothing to do with baptism, nothing to do with church membership, nothing to do with good works. It's placing your trust in Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've never done that. What does that mean? It means this. You can have the power of God in your life in a way that takes away the penalty of sin that you'll never be able to accomplish on your own. You can't take away the penalty of sin on your own. You just can't do it. I can't do it. Nobody can do it. We have all, the scripture says this, we've all gone out of the way, the right way, the only way. We've all gone out of the way. You can know the power of God in salvation today that gives you victory over the sin that's destroying your life. The Bible says that unsaved people are slaves to sin. It has a power to hold us. But God's power can do anything. God can do anything. So no matter what the power of sin is, the grip of sin, the grip of the addiction, God's grace is bigger. God's power is bigger. It's always going to be bigger. There's no power over sin apart from Jesus, but there's no power that sin has that's greater than Jesus. He's omnipotent. If you're lost today, if you've never been saved, I encourage you to be saved. We're going to have an opportunity for you to come and find out exactly how to do that in just a little bit. And then for the Christian, this is a, this is a great promise. Let me, let me speak first to those Christians who are struggling with temptation. You have an ongoing, you have an ongoing struggle with something, whatever it might be. Maybe it is an addiction. Maybe it's a, a temptation, in, it's an attack to be faithful to the Lord. 
Maybe it's, in a, it's, a, it's a temptation not to trust him like you should. Maybe you struggle with pride. To the Christian who is struggling with temptation, come to the God who is, is all-powerful, whose power is greater than anything. Let him deal with that temptation. You say, Pastor, I've been addicted to fill in the blank. I've been addicted to this for decades. Decades. I'm telling you, based on God's word today, God's grace is bigger than that. His power is bigger than that. Pastor, I've, de- I've dealt with this sin all my life. I, I, just, I know I'm saved. I just This is my besetting sin, like it talks about in Hebrews. This is my besetting sin. God's power is bigger than that sin. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound, Scripture says. He's always going to be bigger. Come to Christ. Let him display Let him display his power in your life. He does it in storms. He does it in so many things. He wants to display display his power in you and in me. Come to this omnipotent God. I don't know what your need is. I just know that his power is greater than my need or yours. And you can trust him to meet it in a way that he deems best. Now, you might think your great need is a million dollars. When all you really need is about 700. God's not interested in your faults or my faults identity as a need. But he can meet any need you have. Spiritual, financial, physical, medical, relational. God can meet any need that you have. Why can he do that? Because he's the omnipotent God. This marks him. Think about that. Every time you read a promise... Remember, it's coming from a platform of omnipotence. Every time you're tempted, he can deliver you because he's omnipotent. From that temptation, this is God. Would you stand, please, with your heads bowed? Father, we, we stand in awe. When we talk about things like this, it's, it's beyond our ability to comprehend limitless power. That is so foreign to us. You exercise that power in perfect wisdom because you can't be separated and compartmentalized. So everything you do in your power is right and just. Your power has saved us from sin. It has delivered us from judgment and from hell. It has brought us into your presence here spiritually and one day physically. We don't know how to relate to power like that other than just to submit to it. And so, Lord, there might be those today that need to submit in salvation to you. They've never been saved. They've been making their way through life on their own, and we pray that they would come to you as their Savior. I pray for the Christian who's struggling and trying to do the Christian life in their own strength. And, Lord, I have been there, and it leads me to absolutely failure. It leads me to frustration. And I pray that the Christian here today who's struggling with receiving your power in in their daily life, Lord, I pray that you deliver them from it. Please bless this time of invitation with the working of your Holy Spirit. I don't know what you're doing in people's hearts today. You do. This is a hard message to communicate clearly the omnipotence of a God that that we know, but we can't wrap our minds around. And so, Lord, may your... May your spirit help with your word today in working in these hearts. We pray in your name. Amen.